All right, so so now now I guess we just I guess we just start. Okay, so what did you want to talk about? Hmm. What do you know about myths, Will? Depends on what you're asking about them. Uh, I've I'm really excited to talk about this because there's a lot that I can say. Well, get, just give me a basis. Give me a ba- basic definition for myths. Okay, well, this definitely varies based on who you ask. But how I interpret it is a myth is a story or legend that is important to a large group of people over a long period of time. And generally is fiction or part fiction. Yeah. Okay, so it's a story that relates to a certain people over a long period of time that is that's in important some sense to that made group up. of people. What? Yeah, that's important to the group of people. Because that's that's very important because it has to relate to their society. So, okay, and it's important to the to this type of people. Yeah. Are they based it's, on can they be based on history? Yeah, of course. Uh, the Odyssey? Okay. Yeah, obviously there wasn't like a cyclops. But the Trojan War was a thing. Okay, so the Trojan War was a, te- was a thing, but there's some fictional characters in the story. Yeah, there's some some aspects of it that are made up for a point. Okay, so why does the author make stuff up? For a point. Hmm. But why can't... Hmm. Does reality not give us enough? Do we have to make things up in order to make a point? Hmm. Well, I don't know. But in a story, you can make things perfectly align with how you view the world but in reality it's much more complex being able to make something up is being able to simplify it so that you can relate the message behind it clearly so you said in a story you can make things perfectly align align up with the way that you view the world yeah I don't really like the way that I said that why not because a lot of times myths and stories weren't made to confirm an ideology or a view of the world. They were made as an expression of examinations that a group of people had about the world. An expression of examination? Yeah. So, we talk a lot about archetypes when talking about myths. Okay. Okay. Right, yeah, we do. why are the archetypes the way that they are? 
I'm sure some people have tried to tell stories of a different narrative. But those stories are lost to history. And that's why myths are so important today, is because we can see what survived the test of time. It's the stories that survived the test of time are those in which if you act out the moral or truth of the story into life, it produces the same or very similar result as that which happened in the myth itself. So it relates best to universal experience, it sounds like. Yeah. It relates best to that which we already know being human. It has... It relates what to that which we already know? That which we already know best being human. It, It relates really well to common human experience. Yeah. And they're also a way to express multiple messages, layers upon layers of meaning, many of which you can't interpret correctly, meaning that if you try to apply one interpretation to your life, it'll fail. But many of which, or at least a few of which, do produce similar results. Interesting. So, that's really interesting. So, I'm reading a book. It's essentially commentary on the Old Testament right now. And the author, in between the lines of what he's writing, really questions like this idea that the Old Testament is divinely inspired that it's coming from the mouth of God. He, it seems like he writes believing that people have their own agenda in putting forth these stories. So take the, the Joseph story that we talked about last week and how we talked mm-hmm. about how all things kind of reveal God's purposes and, and God can work through evil just as he can work through good. He would say that that is someone's own theological opinion or own theological perspective infused into this story. And he, he would say, this is common throughout the Pentateuch, which are the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that there were four different narratives that, that can be traced throughout the Pentateuch because there are essentially four different authors or four different groups of people writing the Pentateuch and you can see in each narrative their own theological opinions and their own theological theological perspectives being infused into the stories and into the accounts themselves. And I find that really interesting. I find it confusing because, one, I, I don't think that the Old Testament was written by, well, it depends on what you mean by God, but if you're thinking of, you know, the big man upstairs, I don't think the Old Old Testament was written by God. I don't, I think it was a human's hand that wrote the words. Yeah, but, but it all depends on what you mean by divinely inspired. Well, I guess so. Because I think the fact that these stories in the Old Testament has survived the test of time 
proves that at least on one level, it was divinely inspired. Because what is God? Who is God, I should say? He is the ultimate. He is. Right, he is. He is the best. He is the top. He is the example of a leader, of a father, of a perfect human, of all of these things. Okay. Okay. Which means that if you want to think about it as kind of uh, social hierarchies, which is, uh, let me explain. If you want to think about it like that, like let's say in government, God is not at the top of the hierarchy. Like you say, for example, if we talk about ancient Egypt, person at the top of the hierarchy would be the pharaoh, right? Right. He's in charge. And people worshipped the pharaoh as God. And that's wrong. God is not at the top of the hierarchy. He's at the top of the hierarchy of hierarchies. Well, he's also at the bottom of the, of the hierarchy because the hierarchy must have something to rest on. Exactly. But I'm saying the typical depiction of God as being the ultimate father and leader. Okay. So if you take all of the attributes that lead people to successfully, over time, lead other groups of people, those characteristics are all characteristics of God. Those, they're all the virtues of God. But not one of and them expresses God in his entirety. Exactly. Not one so of them not, expresses not, the whole idea. Exactly. And so that's why when like Israel was like, oh yeah, we need a king and stuff. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Because either A, it'll be like a bad king, which they definitely saw a lot of. Or perhaps you may even worship that king as God. Which is wrong. Because no one man... Do not confuse the position of being at the top of the hierarchy with being at the top of all of them, with being God. You can't do that. Okay. So if we apply this to divine inspiration, we say that this story has survived the test of time in several different cultures, both in Jewish culture and in Christian culture and all of the cultures in which those are the Judeo-Christian beliefs are the foundation of, which is most of the Western world, it has survived the test of time through all of those, which means that the virtues, the values, and the beliefs on at least one level are true. Okay. I believe they're true on more levels than that, but I think that is undisputable. And Why can you say they're evident. true? Why can what? you say they're true if they've withstood the test of time? Why can you say that they're true if they've stood the test of time? Yeah, why does that mean that they're true? What Doesn't that just mean they have good endurance? Time's not the ultimate test, is it? It's a great test. What other test do we have? It has produced stability. I'm looking at this more from a, the fact that it works means that part of it is true. It is true on some level, I mean. So 
that's kind of a pragmatic view. And that's one that's, way of looking that's, at it. That's definitely not the only way. This kind of goes back to the essay that I wrote about effectual truth. That's why I disagree with you about it. So, but you disagree with me on a different level. I, I disagree on, on the causation that something is something works therefore it's true i i I don't think i don't think you can logically deduce that i I think you can say Uh, well i agree truth has pragmatic value i think you can say if something is true then it's going to affect reality in some sense but i don't think you can say that if something affects reality therefore it's true i don't think it works like that i disagree i don't because because this is this is why i disagree Yes, if something is true, something is true if it works, you disagree with that. I say, I need to modify that statement. It's not that if something works, it's true. I'm saying if something works over a long period of time, some underlying aspect of that must be true. Let me give you an example. I heard this somewhere. I'm not entirely sure where. But let's say there's a group of people who believe that porcupines can throw their quills 20 feet. Okay, that's not true. They can't like grab their quills and throw them at you from such a long distance. Okay. Okay, but the people who believe that will stay far away from porcupines as opposed to right. the people who believe, oh no, porcupines are fine. They're not dangerous. They may get close to one. They may get hit with quills. It'll hurt. They, okay. Their wounds may get infected. They may die. Right. Okay. So even though that was not true, the fact that porcupines can throw their quills at such a long distance, an underlying part of it is true, and that is that porcupines are dangerous. Okay. So okay. that's kind of how I view it. Okay. I, I I can see that. I just I don't know if you can prove that the test of time reveals the truth. I don't know if you can prove that truth that truth withstands the test of time. Maybe okay. you can observe okay. it, but I don't think you can prove it. I, I will say this. This is what I believe. I believe that the test of time whittles away a lot of untruths, a lot of lies. And part of the truth is preserved going forward. Okay. Which means the truth's still there. It may be crowded in less lies, but they're still there. But it's not that the test of time has washed it away. Okay. So, Will, can we go back to talking about myths? Yeah. So Wait, that kind of talks about myths. Meaning that okay. some myths, such as archetypal stories, have stood the test of time. Obviously, a lot of them, the facts behind them, aren't true. But I believe that shrouded underneath all those untruths, there's a, on some level, 
a core story that is true. Hmm. Okay. So a lot of people say that myths aren't historical. Is that true? That myths aren't historical? Yeah, myths are different from historical fact. Like objective, this is what happened? Right. I think a lot of myths... Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of myths... Most myths, no, that didn't actually happen. Okay. So can you give me an example of pure history versus an example of myth? Okay. John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln in the back of the head, which caused Abraham Lincoln to die. Okay. So history, right? Yeah. Okay. Can you give me an example of myth? Right, let's. We can just look at Greek mythology. Okay. Have you okay, ever read C.S. Talking... Lewis? Well, what what'd you say? Oh, just keep going. Have you ever read C.S. Lewis's book? Till We Have Faces. No. So, Till We Have Faces is actually a myth retold, and in this in this book, he describes the myth of, what is it, Cupid with Psyche, I believe. Interesting. And he, okay. retells, he retells the myth in the way that he sort of interprets it. Okay, is it the same myth or did he change what happens in it he changed a little he changed a little bit he added some characters he added different action he that added like a the main the fundamental elements are those the same a lot of fundamental occurrences and happenings are the same yes okay i don't know about fundamental element elements because he really he puts a christian theological spin on it okay really it's a fascinating book to read I, it's one of my favorite books okay how long is it just it's maybe 300 pages or so oh so it's longer than all of his other books i think so but okay so we talked about so we've given an example of myth and we've also given an example of history and myth as we've seen has some sort of interpretation value to it some sort of interpretation or mm. ideas about what this means infused into it and you have history also yeah. which you stated very plainly history was just concerned with, with what that. happened yeah john wilkes booth shot abraham lincoln in the back of the head causing him to die just straightforward yeah but well which is I more valuable which is more valuable right what what do you mean by valuable? You mean to us? Right, which is worth more to, to humanity? The myths, I believe. Or even the myths that accompany history. So, so telling a story about the assassination of Lincoln and right. the myth of Lincoln. You know, people say that a lot. If there's a person who becomes legendary, they're like, oh, he's a myth. 
because it encapsulates so many ideas and you can interpret the person. Will, can you, can you describe what you have when you just have facts in a, in a vacuum? When you just have the civil war happened in 1861, it ended in 1865. President Lincoln was assassinated a few months after the civil war ended. What do you have when you have just facts in a vacuum? You have a vacuum with facts in it. (laughs) Thank you. No, you don't have anything. There's nothing to take away from it because there's no human element to it insofar as relating us to that. But don't you have objective reality here with just facts? Don't you have straight objectivity? Yeah, you Things do. Things that actually occurred but, in reality. But we're not just objective realities. Okay. Which is so strange to think about. Like, why wouldn't we be? But clearly we're not. Because, well, people say you can't change the past. Okay, I guess that's true. But obviously... Let's say you find out some information now that'll completely change the way you view the past. So we are not just pure objective truths. There's so much more to us that I guess in a way we're more than that. So it, it sounds like you would say that the facts... just the facts as purely plain objective reality doesn't really mean anything to us unless we essentially mix these facts with interpretation or with value claims or with emotional emotional material and unless we can combine all these together the objective facts don't impact us they don't change anything they they don't tell us anything about what it means to be human they don't they don't affect us on any deeper level right exactly and if people who disagree with that maybe they're able to show me a way but i can't perceive a way in which the objective facts without some lens of perception onto them affects us personally so is there a right way to interpret things and is there a wrong way to interpret things now those are two is there a questions. right perspective to be added and a wrong perspective to be added okay those are two different questions and that's very clear we need to make that very clear because the fact that is there a right way to interpret things that's very debatable but there are most assuredly wrong ways to interpret things. And how are, how do we know that those wrong ways, that those ways of interpreting things are wrong? Well, my answer to that would be when you put those into practice in real life over a period of time and test them, does it end in chaos, disaster, and destruction? 
because that's wrong. Well, as opposed to if the myth or the story or your way of interpreting says it should work out. So let's take a lovely example. Communism. Okay. Trying to put that in place in the 20th century caused the deaths of tens, maybe even hundreds of millions of people in the Soviet Union and China. I would say that's sufficient evidence to say that that's wrong. That way of interpreting things is wrong. People may disagree. They say, oh, it just wasn't implemented correctly. I say, okay, you may be right, but I think you're neglecting a certain aspect of human character, meaning that people in power, unless you have a very rare individual, want to stay in power and will do what they can to do so especially the people that seek out that power. Okay. I don't know if that's the best example, but that's the one that comes to mind. Well, it seems like you're you're assuming the connection between good and right and evil and bad. It seems like you're automatically tying the two together. Good and evil is synonymous with with right and wrong, true and false. It seems like you've already made that assumption. Communism is evil, therefore communism is wrong. Will, is evil wrong? Is evil wrong? Right. Well, well, yeah. Now, if you're asking the... I don't know how you say this, epistemological question of how do we know evil's wrong, then I think that's a very interesting question. Because people will agree evil is wrong. And I'll say, okay, how do you know? They just say, well, I just know. Like, I just know. Which if you look at what happened in the garden I don't think it's any coincidence that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil now I do want to talk about that story but we can do that at a later time because that is very interesting and there's a lot of ramifications of that right I'm reading a book Titled what The book? Art of Storytelling from Parents to Professionals. Okay. Have you ever heard of The Great Courses? The Great Courses Plus? The Great Courses What? Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a, a learning online or even right. like Yeah. Yeah, I know what it is. I think so it's I free this... at the University of Arkansas. Or at least Lynda.com. There's certain things that you can do for free. Okay. Well, so I have this transcript book of a course that Professor Hannah B. Harvey once gave at East Tennessee State University, and it's called The Art of Storytelling from Parents to Professionals. And ever since I started this book, I've been really intrigued 
by what stories are and why we like stories so much, why they stick in our minds so well. And did you read my article? Yeah, I did. And that's about just a fraction of it. I think also stories are a great way to learn. Telling a story is a great way to learn. Because as you start a story, you don't know where it'll end. Or at least good storytelling has that happen occasionally. I think you, you, start a story, I think you do know where it ends. Okay. A lot of times I don't think you did. So, you know, Crime and Punishment, I've talked about that before. Dostoevsky, when he wrote that, like, when he, when he writes, he doesn't know what's going to happen at the very end. He right, just but writes. that's very unique to him as a writer. And I think that's what makes him one of the greats. I See, I don't like the disorganized thing. I would rather him tell me his opinion on a, on a moral or something like that and infuse his interpretation into the story and have it all mapped out and, and logical from the beginning. I would rather him do that. That's not how life is, though. Life isn't some mapped out, this is what's going to happen to you. These are obstacles you're going to have to overcome. Here's how you overcome this. No, life is a mess. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know what's going on. Will. We don't know how it will end. Will, let me All say this. All we know is that it's happening. Right. Life now. is a mess? A mess meaning disorganized. Okay. A mess is a life. Well, does that make any sense? Does that have any resemblance to the meaning of what I said originally? Life is a mess. A mess is a life. A life is is mess. Mess a life is. Does that make any sense? No, you need some sort of organization and you need some sort of order in order for something to mean what you want it to mean. You're 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 misinterpreting you're misinterpreting it because something can be a mess but still have some degree of order. Order's not binary. It's there's a degree between it. It's a scale. So John, whenever I was saying Dostoevsky writes and doesn't know where it's going to end up, I think he did know, like, I think it'll go in this direction. But, so there's some degree of order, but there's still a clear story. There's a structure, though. Yeah, there's a structure. He writes with, there's a backbone to his story. It's not just made up blob. You know, it's not a made-up blob that he just vomits onto the page. I'm saying There's it's less. To it. It's less structured than someone like someone like Ayn Rand, who would write with a clear ideology driving what she wrote. Hmm. But I do think he infuses his own ideology into the stories. I think he finds his ideology in stories. No, no, no. Well, I don't know. So, John, Maybe. what? I don't agree that you, you have a whole map and then you write the story. I think a lot of times, or at least if you sit down to write and you want to express the thoughts that are in your head and you don't know how to start one of the best ways is to start telling a story. Yeah, or one some of the other best ways is to just start. 
to start with, I don't know, poetry is a great way. You know, something that, some artistic expression of the thoughts that are in your head. Right. Okay, can I, can I mention this uh, kind of modern myth? And what I mean by when I say there's a layer of truth to it, even yeah, though it's completely ahead. fictional. All right. Disney movies. Okay. Do you remember how Ariel goes? Do you mean the Little Mermaid? Yeah, the Little Mermaid. Is that is that what? It's, yeah, that's what it's called. That's the name of the movie. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, I remember it. Okay. So you remember how she trades her voice to Ursula so that she can have legs and be a human for like two days or three days or something. And then if he doesn't kiss her by the end of sundown on like the third day, she is trapped by Ursula forever. Okay. Okay. And you remember how it, how everything ends up. King Triton takes her place. She gets her voice back. And then her and the prince guy, Eric, I think, they defeat Ursula and Triton comes back and everything. Okay. okay. Obviously that didn't happen. But there's a, this is how I interpret that. When you make a deal with the devil... You stop speaking the truth, which is so horrible that it requires a sacrifice of God himself, our Heavenly Father, to sacrifice himself for our sin. Then we're able to speak the truth and be free, and, o- and God has overcome evil. I think that's a good interpretation of it. But it's clearly not the only one, which is why stories are so great. Hmm. But is it the right one? I think it stands up, which means that I don't know if it's right, but it might not. I don't know if it's wrong. I doubt it's wrong. Well, have you ever heard of anything called the hero's journey? Yeah, that's the classic archetype story. Star Wars, The Lion King, etc. Can you can you kind of explain it to me? I'll do my best. I'm sure you'd be even better. Right. I have all the I have all the notes right sitting right in front of me because I just read about it today in the in my book. But okay, give it a shot. Give it a go. All right. So this is how I see the hero's journey. The hero, the main character, the protagonist, is called to action from whatever life that they're currently in. Usually something mediocre, poor, maybe maybe well-to-do, but still average, and nothing exceptional. They're either called to action by offering an invitation, but more likely than not, they're kind of thrust into this story. And they typically have these certain recurring characters Namely, you know, the friends that accompany them on the journey, the mentor, the kind of wise 
mystic foreshadowy person and the antagonist the evil person who seems at first all-powerful they typically progress on a journey in which they face that person or at least minions of that person and get crushed they then wallow in that until something happens something someone says and they're filled with hope and inspiration they then have the strength to go face the antagonist again in which they battle it's devastating often people die but they triumph victoriously they metaphorically slay the dragon take the gold and they come back and they give it to the villagers in the kingdom and share the wealth or share in the victory i should say so I, th- yeah that has that's really similar to what to what i've learned but from my from my book i've learned that there's three distinct characteristics to the hero's journey the first is separation the second is initiation and the third is return so the hero begins his or her journey by being separated from the world in some sense the hero then ventures into the unknown and the old self the old hero dies the old person that the hero was Mm, and he he or she puts on this new self or this new hero and while gaining this new understanding in the initiation phase and it's at the end of the initiation phase that the person faces his or her dragon um, and by facing the dragon he's led into the return phase which is where the person returns to where he or she left from as a person with new power and new abilities and really as a new person yeah and what my book didn't talk about to the extent that i think it should have was this return phase where the person returns to where he or she left from as a new person with new powers and new abilities and what what the book didn't talk about was that this requires proof right it requires what? You can't just say that someone returns to an environment that he or she left from with new powers. You have to prove that the person left with new powers. Okay, what do you mean? That the, that prove that the person, by the initiation phase and by encountering all these trials and by facing the dragon, somehow gained these new powers and it works itself out. It's somehow proved in someone's life, right? Okay, so, for example, if you take the Lion King, after okay. Simba returns and faces the dragon, the proof is the fact that he's able to lead well. Is that right, or is that wrong? I, th- I think that's right. So the end of his initiation phase, where he faces the dragon, right, is when he faces his uncle. Yeah. Isn't that right? Wouldn't you yeah, say? Yeah, Scar. Scar. That's him. That's his dragon. That's who he faces. Did the story make a mistake by not showing him him 
prove that he's truly a new person and continuing on. Because a lot of stories end with just and happy, happily ever after without proving, no, there's a change that occurred. This person is not who he was before. He really, he really is a new person. He really does have this new power. And it works itself out into his life day after day after day after day so that it really is happily ever after. Um, I guess in one sense, because from what you can see, the land in which he leads prospers and everyone's super happy that whenever he has a kid because they're like, wow, look at this guy. We love him. It's almost, yeah, it's almost like you need I a I guess the proof, the proof is the fact that they can tell he's a changed person because of his newfound or discovered virtues. Huh. Okay, well, let, let's look at another example. Okay. What's another classic archetype story? Star Wars? Star Wars. Hmm. That one's hard to... Here, Will, can we go back to the Joseph story that we were talking about last week? Yeah. Well, for the record, I do think that another good archetype for the story is Moses. Moses is separated okay, yeah. from Egypt. He's initiated in the wilderness at Midian, and then he returns with new power, new abilities, and as a new person. Okay, yeah. And that works itself out into the rest of his life. And you have Moses leading the people through the wilderness and leading the people through the Red Sea. And it's just time after time after time. Again, Moses proves that he is not the same person that he was when he left Egypt. Yeah. But going back to the Joseph story, this is not the case with Joseph. Joseph is thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, sold into Egypt, sold into Potiphar's house, and you can consider this as separation. This is being separated from the world, being separated from his family and his father and his brothers, separated from everything he knew before. But is there ever an initiation into new understanding with Joseph? Maybe, maybe you can say that the experience taught Joseph new things, and being in prison and working as the second highest man in Egypt, that they taught him new things. But did he ever return? No, I don't think so. Yeah, his he did. What? Re- no, 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 no. His brothers returned to him. It doesn't matter if his brothers return to him or he returns to his brothers. You said the end is return. He's. It's not the physical place. It's the physical place. It's not the physical place. It's where you left off when the journey started. Okay, okay, and that's so he did. That is his. What they focused on in that story was his relationship with his brothers. Here's what I want to argue: it's his brothers, and it's the other tribes of Israel that were separated from Joseph. It's his brothers that are initiated into new understanding, and it's his brothers who return to him as new people, as people who felt remorse and regret and felt ashamed of what they had done. 
I believe it's his brothers that return to him different. I believe he was constant throughout his experiences. Okay, I, I agree with most of the part, but I will say I don't think Joseph was constant. Because at first he's, from what we gather, pretty naive in some sense, meaning he's kind of full of himself, just telling the story, not thinking about how others people will perceive it, like all of his dreams. But then towards the end, he's much wiser. And I don't know about his physical character, but I'm sure that improved as well. But as far as the other thing with the brothers, I don't think that those two are mutually exclusive, meaning that it wasn't Joseph, it was his brothers. I think it could easily and probably was both of them. Because the hero's journey is not just one person. It's for everybody. Like, <laughs> like that's what we're supposed to emulate, right? Right. I mean, even God did that. Except for the fact of improving because he's already perfect. I mean, he returned as Jesus to save us, overcome sin and death. That seems like the hero's story to me. And he's returning again. Um. Sorry, I uh, I'm really hungry. I really I hungry. I'm well. <laughs> Is there anything you want to close with? No, I I think that's what I have to say. Okay. I'm trying to I'm trying to create my own story. Okay. About what? Kind of something along the lines of a hero's story a hero's journey but with a little bit of of plot twist to it so we'll we'll see how it turns out I'm in the very preliminary stages right now okay let me know okay it doesn't have to be long how long are you planning on making it I was thinking about maybe turning it into a book well the best way to start is small. Yeah, I know. All right, well. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.